and welcome to our first episode of Toriosity's second podcast series called Travel Curious with me, Georgia Darrell. Curiosity is what propels us travellers to discover the world. And in this podcast series, I'll be interviewing tour guides, food and restaurant critics and various city insiders to help you uncover the secrets to some of the most beautiful city destinations in the world. This month, we have Valentine's Day coming up, and what better city to visit than Paris, the city of romance. Most aptly for our Travel Curious podcast on beautiful Paris, the very first Valentine card was written by a Frenchman, Charles of Orléans, whilst imprisoned in the Tower of London after the Battle of Agincourt back in 1415, proving that the French have always led the way when it comes to romance. It turns out that Paris is also a very family-friendly city, perfect for introducing the kids to a bit of culture, adventure and foreign cuisine. In this podcast, I'll be interviewing Daniel Alstrom, a Paris tour guide, for his top tips on what to do and where to go for families, friends and couples. I'll also be interviewing Candice Sacagnino, who's a French-Italian film producer. She's lived in Paris since 1994, So I'll be asking her about what it's like to actually live in this most glamorous of cities. Candice is full of insider tips, restaurant recommendations and things to do. So I'm really excited about talking to her. So my first guest on our podcast today is my very good friend and fellow tour guide, Daniel Alstrom. Am I pronouncing that right, Dan? Yeah. So um, hello, Dan. Hello. Nice to be here. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. And Dan and I were tour guides together in Rome, but Dan moved to Paris, where he's now a tour guide in uh, lovely Paris. I wanted to talk to you about it, really. Um, Obviously, ironically, we're actually meeting in Rome. Dan's on holiday here, and I've just moved back to Rome. Um, And Dan, when did you you move to Paris? I moved there last May. And what made you decide on Paris? Well, I've always loved Paris in terms of its history and its culture. Uh, The attitude for me was, why not go? So that was a big uh, move for me. I had very itchy feet and I wanted to try a new city and Paris was on the top of my list. And, and so how long have you been tour guiding? I've been tour guiding for four years now. Yeah. It's, and how does Paris compare to, to Rome? In terms of tour guiding, it's almost comparing apples and oranges because right. the history is so complexly different. Similar in many ways, but also very different. So it's quite a relief because it's different and it's new and it's exciting. On that note, come back to kind of tour guide stuff in a minute, but okay. on a personal note, what's your sort of, what are your favourite aspects about Paris? In terms of uh, my favourite places to go for eating or drinking or whatever, um, I talk about different areas. So, for example, my personal favourite area to visit in Paris is uh, Le Marais. Yeah, M-A-R-A-I-S. Um, the Marais has got quite a really interesting rich history. It was originally a Jewish district. Oh, wow. And it still has that tradition, quite similar to Rome, where a lot of Jewish people, a lot of Jewish family live there, a lot of Je- Jewish businesses. But the Marais has really evolved to more than just that. It's become a huge uh, centre for shopping. It's also become the LGBT district of Paris. So all these different kind of categories all into one area is really fascinating. What I really like about Marais as well is um, Paris. I always describe Paris as an old and new city at the same time. Paris has a very rich, very old history, quite similar to Rome. But when you go there, it's very new. Because in the 19th century, essentially, the city was just rebuilt. It's almost like wow. just tearing down, starting from scratch, yeah. Wow. Uh, that was during the Houseman era. So Napoleon III wanted to redesign the city, widen the streets. It was overpopulation. The, at this stage, Paris had seen three revolutions. So having wider streets kind of made sense. Wow. Now, this has benefited Paris today because it's so easy to get through. It's very easily accessible. 
Um, that said, it can be still congested. Now, there's a few nice hidden areas where it has its original streets. The Marais is one of them. Um, narrow streets with the original cobblestones and all the different businesses that are there that have been there, family run for such a long time. So Marais for me is a personal favourite. Oh, fabulous. And in terms of uh, other than businesses there, are there also places to kind of eat and drink? and sort of Yeah, the whole area itself is a perfect place more to go for a glass of wine rather right. than to eat. Okay. Paris is an expensive city. Is it? Is it? Um, even if you know where to go, it'll cost a little bit more. That was one thing that I, I, that was a shock to me, because living in Rome, if you know where to go... Rome, Paris has that just to a lesser extent. Now, yeah. Marais is more a place where you want to go for a glass of wine and people watch. Okay, oh, wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. Any other sort of secret tips of yours? Okay, uh, in terms of areas or yeah, landmarks? Yeah, areas or landmarks or whatever. Okay, well, um, personal favourite for me, it actually comes close to me, it was the first place I visited when I first arrived in Paris, Yeah. Uh, is uh, the Père Lachaise Cemetery. Père Lachaise. Père Lachaise Cemetery. Your favourite place to visit is a cemetery, Dan. I know. You have okay. to understand, it's a little <laughs> bit different in France. Okay. Um, it's, well, apart from the people who were buried there, um, for Paris, to walk to a cemetery isn't considered... Bizarre, it's actually considered a nice way to get out of the city. It's quiet and it's very beautiful in its own way. It's a secular cemetery, so it's not a very religious place. Interesting. I know. For, for example, um, when I was first looking for an apartment, um, one of the landlords trying to sell me the apartment said, there's a cemetery near here that you can walk through and it's very nice. <laughs> and you were like, great. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Père Lachaise is a specific cemetery set up by Napoleon. Um, it was originally outside the city, but again, Paris got bigger, so it's within the city. And it's actually the most exclusive place to be buried. There is a waiting list to be in the cemetery, over 30 years, in fact. To get into the cemetery, you pay rent. What? Yes. It sounds strange to say. <laughs> That's extraordinary. But it's like, it's like real estate. Okay. You rent two meters of land. That's the minimum. You can decorate the tomb to an extent how you'd like. And every 10 years, you have to pay a certain amount of money. Now, that sounds a bit bizarre to someone who has passed on from this world, but um, this actually continues. And if you don't pay your, your, your rent, you actually get evicted. You get evicted from your yeah. grave. Yeah, you get evicted from your grave and someone else takes it. They don't throw you in the bin, but they place you somewhere else. So Hopefully not in the Seine, neither. Uh, no, 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 no. Um, but many different famous people are actually buried there. Um, Oscar Wilde is buried there. <gasps> oh, wow, I'd love to go and visit Oscar yeah. Wilde's grave. Yeah, I know. Oh, Especially as an Irish person. Uh, yeah. Oh, big my love God, for Oscar Wilde. Uh, Jim Morrison is buried there. There's a very famous couple that are buried there, um, Eloise and Abelard. <gasps> I'm obsessed with Eloise and Abelard. Yeah, they were moved there by Josephine Bonaparte, Napoleon's first wife. Gosh, I had no idea. Exactly. Wow. So it's, although it is a cemetery, it doesn't have that feel of being a, a place of sorrow and a place of, of sadness. It's actually very enlightening. It's, yeah, and beautiful. Yeah, and when I first arrived in Paris, um, while waiting to move into my apartment, after coming straight from the airport, I went and walked through Père Lachaise because it was the nearest place. So I suppose it has a special, special place. Special yeah. residence for you, I special know. heartfelt place. Now, obviously, we've got Valentine's Day coming up. Um, Valentine's Day, as I'm sure all of you know, is named after St. Valentine of Rome, where we are at the moment. Actually, there are possibly about three or four different St. Valentines. He's a fairly mythological figure. 
Um, the most accepted legend about St. Valentine is that he was a Christian priest under the reign of Claudius, Emperor Claudius II, who banned soldiers, I think, from marrying. And um, old Valentine would marry them in secret um, and then was arrested and imprisoned. And these lovers would bring him notes and flowers. And apparently he fell in love with his jailer's daughter and would write her love letters signing them your valentine so that's where valentine's day comes from from rome but of course a lot of people like to celebrate valentine's day in paris it's the city of romance and um i just wondered if you could give um some couples who want to maybe go to paris uh, for valentine's day some advice as to what to do where to go oh absolutely all right it seems like a bit of a cliche but you do need to see the eiffel tower of course but a very specific time So the thing about the Eiffel Tower is, as amazing as a monument it is, is at night it is lit up. There's actually over 25,000 light bulbs lighting up the tower. 25,000 light bulbs. 25,000 light bulbs. Oh my gosh. All right. That Uh, must look amazing. It's beautiful. Now that's not just, that's not it. Um, Every hour for five minutes, as like on the hour I mean, for five minutes it sparkles. So it's actually a very romantic thing to do. Um, And... What I tell couples often on my tours is to go to the Eiffel Tower before, maybe. There's a beautiful field right next to the Eiffel Tower. It's the Champ de Mars, uh, the Field of Mars. Field of Mars. Yeah. Right. It's right next to a military school where Napoleon trained. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. God of War, of course. Exactly. Interesting. And, um, beautiful and of course, f- women are from Venus, men are from Mars. Exactly. So, <laughs> <laughs> so beautiful field right next to the Eiffel Tower. Um, you can bring a bottle of wine or some beer. There are actually vendors that will sell you alcohol there. It's of course there are. perfectly yeah. legal um, oh, to an extent, <laughs> yeah, yeah. as long as you're not going too crazy. So go there with a bottle of wine and a blanket and you can watch the Eiffel Tower light up. Oh, that's so nice, Dan. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. And obviously Le Marais as well, that sounds really yeah. quite a romantic spot. Le Marais, streets. well there's so many different districts and different areas in Paris that have their own feel. Paris has so much going for it in terms of its different districts. Can you give us an example of some of those districts? Um, another one, another personal favourite of mine um, is Montmartre. Montmartre, I'm obsessed with Montmartre. Montmartre is such yeah. a beautiful area. And I, my, one of my favourite artists of all time is Henri de Toulouse-Lautrec. Oh, Toulouse-Lautrec, yeah. yeah. Actually, there's an exhibition of his work on in Rome at the moment. Montmartre has its own kind of charm because originally Montmartre was just a village outside of Paris. The association with windmills comes from the fact that that's where a lot of food was made. Okay, it's so only, grinding the flour. Yeah, grinding the flour. Eventually, the windmills start to be converted into dance halls and to the cabarets that we now know today. Yeah. yeah. But it actually holds true today that people from Montmartre, they don't really identify as Parisian. They would actually say they're Montmartrois, or Trois for the ladies, okay. uh, as opposed to Parisian. It's okay. very similar to Rome and Trastevere. Okay. Well, they were they would Maybe Soho as well, perhaps. And Soho for New York, so every London, area yeah. has their own area, but um, yeah. it's the same for Montmartre, and... It has the same charm that Marais has with, with the original streets. Yeah. It was outside of Paris at the time of its reconstruction. I think it's a bit of a cliche, but it's a really nice thing to know, think that uh, a bar or cafe that you're in or a street that you walk down was once a place where uh, Toulouse-Lautrec or yeah. Van Gogh or yeah. one of those amazing artists Gaga, walked through Montaigne. Gaga, Gaga, yeah. all these lovely impressionists. Um, and what about families? Because... Um, you know, as tour guides, we often, you know, we take kind of groups of adults around or, or private um, groups, you know, of sort of two to five people. As a city, it is definitely family friendly. Is it? Um, the French or even the Parisians in general really have a strong love of family and connection. So 
no matter what age you are, you can enjoy Paris in your own way. Absolutely. And ob- there's obviously Euro Disney. <laughs> Don't talk about it too much. There's obviously Euro, Euro Disney for families. I remember we went there when I was a child and we bickered all weekend. So um, not a great memory. But other than the obvious, what, what would you suggest for families to kind of do? Again, again it's going to be a bit of a cliche, but I would always say the Louvre. I think the Louvre, the Louvre yeah. is a mandatory site for people to visit when they're going to Paris. Mm. Even if they've been to Paris ten times, I think they should set aside time for the Louvre. It's like the Vatican Museums. There's mm. so much to see. Mm. And even living there myself, I've known guides. I know guides that have been working at the Louvre for over 20 years. They have not seen everything. Wow. I know. That wow. shows how expansive and how amazing the collection is. Yeah, yeah. Now, children will... Definitely be familiar with the Mona Lisa. Absolutely, of course. So just even to go to see the Mona Lisa is a reason to go. But like I said, I always tell clients on my tours, it's not a case of if you go to the Louvre, it's when. Um, Yeah, I was going to say, because you know the Vatican Museums, certain days of the week or certain times of the year, the queues can be hours long. So what's, what's the deal with the Louvre? With the Louvre, well, there's several entrances to the Louvre. So... The main entrance that we all know, of course, is the glass pyramid that was finished in 1989. There is a second entrance that you can enter. It's actually just um, on, if you are facing the pyramid on your right, uh, there is a arch, an arch, sorry, mm-hmm. with uh, two bronze lions outside, and that's another entrance. Okay. To the and any particular quarters of Paris do you think that um, families would be best suited to for accommodation or for, you know? In terms of centralness, that is a very important one because a lot of families, a lot of people that are visiting Paris, they're here for a very short time. Yeah. And the closer you are to Paris, the better. Um, Often people try to book um, locations further away for cheapness, but then you have to account that you have to pay for transport to get to the center. Right. So you really need to decide whether it's worth saving that 10 or 20 euros Mm. for the short time you have. Uh, two areas that I would say are definitely family-friendly um, are the Latin Quarter. The Latin Quarter. Cool. And uh, Saint-Germain, which are actually right next to each other. Great. It's closest to the Notre-Dame. And oh, Notre-Dame. In, mm-hmm. and which kids will be familiar, of course, with the Hunchback of Notre-Dame. Exactly. <laughs> Wonderful, so that Those areas are perfect for families. The advantage with boat cruises and Paris is the Seine passes right through the centre and you see wow. nearly all of its major monuments from the river. It's quite a low river and it's quite a wide river. Right. One of the reasons why it was so easy to attack. Um, boat cruises are typically just one hour long. Uh, many start at the Eiffel Tower. And again, this would hold true for couples or even families yeah. to take a river cruise starting at the Eiffel Tower at around, depending on what time of the year you go, an hour before sunset. Oh, yeah, good idea. So, you go and you see all the major monuments in the daytime, Mm -hmm. and then when it passes around the Notre Dame to the other side, the city starts to turn dark and the monuments light up. And this is when you find out why Paris is known as the City of Lights. And as I said before, the Eiffel Tower lights up on the hour. So, when you come back to the Eiffel Tower getting off the boat... Yeah, it lights up. It lights up. Oh my gosh, that sounds absolutely amazing. The other thing I wanted to ask you about is that, um, as you and I both know, people who maybe come for slightly longer than a a weekend or long weekend, supposing you're staying in Paris for a week, um, obviously France is a huge country and you can't do it all in in a week or two, but have you got any sort of suggestions for half-day trips out of Paris or full-day trips out of Paris? And what would you recommend? 
What's your favorite? Well, there's so yeah. many to choose from because yeah, uh, there's so many different regions that you can visit. But um, I think I'm going to choose two, re two uh, sites that are still within the Ile-de-France region. Okay. Um, the first one, it goes without saying, the Palace of Versailles. Oh my gosh, of course. It yeah. is, of course, uh, not in Paris. It's about 13 miles outside the city. Okay. It has a lot going for it in terms that you can spend either a half day or a day or even two days there. There's so much to see. Not only the chateau, mm -hmm. and you get to find out about the most fascinating king in French history, Louis XIV. Absolutely. Because that was originally a hunting lodge that he went to as a child, and he expanded on it. I was going to say, that's a massive hunting lodge otherwise. You know. <laughs> well, the thing was, Louis XIV didn't like... Paris, he felt unsafe in Paris. He, he became the king when he was about five years old, so, wow, yeah. and a revolution happened when he was young, so his memories of Paris as a child were negative. So yeah. hunt, the hunting lodge where he visited were his most fond memories, so when he becomes the full absolute monarch at the age of 21, he moves. Right. And creates what we now know as Versailles. Versailles. So it's not just the chateau. The chateau is just breathtaking. And yeah. You see gold everywhere. You see the Hall of Mirrors and yeah. where the Treaty of Versailles was signed. But it's not just the chateau. It's the gardens. It's over okay. 800 hectares of gardens. 800 hectares? Yes. That's like a small city, isn't it? Essentially, yes. Wow. It was more Louis XIV wanting to show that he had full reign not only over man but nature. Okay. So, fountains laying all around the gardens, mm. beautiful landscapes, and a small little farm created by Marie Antoinette. She wanted to pretend that she was one of the people, and she created a small little farm for herself with animals. And, and as we know, that didn't go down too well. Exactly. <laughs> Let them eat cake. Yes. She actually never said that. Oh, really? We don't know if she ever said that. It most likely... Propaganda against yeah. her kind of thing. Well, essentially, she was so out of touch with the French that she would not have even known about the situation. Right, right, right. It's a popular... Uh, so how long do you think it takes to kind of do a trip to... As you said, it could be two or three days, but if you wanted to do it in a in sort of a day, how long does it take to get there from Paris? And... It's very easy to get there from Paris. It's very well connected. Is it's it? a 40-minute train. It's not the metro, it's the RERC. It's the regional train. Okay. It's about five euros. Okay. Wow, to... that's so cheap. Yeah. God, you know, the trains in Britain are unbelievably expensive. So oh, I every, remember. Like, when I come to Italy or, or France, it's just like, wow. I remember. Yeah, yeah. So five euros just to get out to Versailles. Yeah. Fantastic. And you can spend the whole day there, I suppose. Exactly. Not just for the chateaus, which are breathtaking, but yeah. also the gardens. Yeah, amazing. And, and you said you had a second option as well. The second one, again, it's still within Ile-de-France. It's a little bit further. It's actually 34 miles okay. outside of Paris. It's... Um, Another chateau, well, a royal chateau, Fontainebleau. Amazing. Can you tell us a bit about Fontainebleau? All right, so Fontainebleau, uh, again, had similar origins to Versailles. It was a hunting lodge, mm -hmm. but not just a hunting lodge. It was surrounded by acres and acres of forestry land that mm -hmm. the kings used to love doing, hunting, for mm -hmm. example. So it starts as a small little hunting lodge, and it expands to the chateau that we now know. It's one of the largest royal chateaus. So many different kings um, reigned there. Uh, one was born there. Louis XIII was born there. Okay. Louis XV was married there. And wow. it's a beautiful combination of Renaissance um, rooms uh, with Baroque and neoclassical. And one of the most fascinating people reigned as the Emperor of France in that location, Napoleon. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's actually one of the only places in France where you can find where he lived with the original furniture. 
Wow. You can imagine after Napoleon they would want to wipe out any memory of him, but of his original furniture is there. In fact, you can see the table that he worked on writing hundreds and hundreds of letters. You can see the table that he abdicated from, and you can see his original winter coat that you will see in famous paintings of him. Wow, you can't see my face, everyone, but I'm just kind of, my jaw yeah. is on the floor. It sounds amazing. Yeah. And, and is that well-connected as well? It's 34 miles away. So it is also well-connected. Mm-hmm. Um, the For visitors to Paris, it is a very tourist-friendly city, and they want to make it as easy as possible for you. Brilliant. Um, the language barrier can be a difficulty, but uh, this is the 21st century Paris. Um, English is becoming a more... Acceptable language. Acceptable (laughs) language, depending on the age. But um, for people that are trying to get to Fontainebleau and you do not know any French, it is is possible to get there. Fantastic. Um, It's another train, oddly enough, about less than an hour from Paris. Fabulous. So that shows how well connected the trains are. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, thank you, Dan. That's so helpful. Um, So... Um, lastly, obviously Paris has been on everybody's minds and in everybody's hearts lately yeah. because of the terrorist attacks uh, last year. And I know that you were in Paris during that dreadful time. I and was. We, we were chatting about it before we started recording, I know, and you were saying that you know a lot of people come up to you and talk to you about it and everyone remembers where they were when they heard about the terrorist attacks. People, Not just people who are in Paris, obviously, but when the rest of the world heard. It just kind of shocked us all. Can you talk a little bit about the kind of the impact that the terrorist attacks have had on the Parisians, on Paris, and of course on, on visitors as well, and if you can reassure people about it Absolutely. As well. well, of course the attacks were a complete shock yeah. to everyone. Yeah. Uh, Parisians, people not from Paris, it was a shock to everyone. But what is very endearing about the Parisians living there is that they continue to live their lives like normal, mm. uh, unfazed by this. Mm. For example... The day after the attacks, and they had suggested not to gather in public places, people were still out on the streets living their lives. Absolutely. Now, even two days after the attacks, there was uh, there were two false alarms, one of which I was involved in. Oh my gosh, that must have been terrifying. Yeah, that was the time when tensions were at their highest. Um, in one area, firecrackers had went off and it startled everyone, mm. understandably. Yeah, absolutely. And a light bulb had burst in a restaurant. Gosh. And I was involved in that stampede of panic. Wow. More so because I saw hundreds of people running and glasses shattering. And Gosh. I didn't ask any questions. I ran. Just started running. But even after that, the next day was Monday. People went to work, living their lives like normal. I mean, we still remember. And the effects of it are still seen because it's, it's common to see armed guards around most of our monuments. Right. Eiffel Tower, Notre Dame. It's... It's calming to know that they're there, but it's also sad to know that they're necessary. Yeah, yeah. For example, I'm taking my metro to go to my next tour, and there are two armed guards right. on the train. Yeah. All right? Uh, in terms of concerns, I cannot think of a safer city right now. Absolutely. I have not, I've not changed my routine in any way. Yeah. And even, like I said, two days afterwards, I still continued... Yeah. living my life absolutely and also there was a very you know it was all over social media I believe that they said don't gather in don't don't large groups of people gather in public spaces but then didn't quite a lot of people gather in a big, big public space and there was a, a pianist who, who played John Lennon's Imagine yes. that was, was at uh, Place de la République that was a site um, where over a million people had gathered during the, after the Charlie Hebdo attacks wow wow now that was a different kind of attack that was an attack on free speech this absolutely. was 
a different kind of attack. This is a horrible, random terrorist attack. This yeah. was attacking the way of life. They weren't yeah. attacking tourist attractions. They were attacking the everyday life of the, the, the Parisians. Yeah. Concerts, yeah. restaurants... Yeah. bars and I myself was in a bar when it happened that could have been the place where yeah. I was I also get the sense that there was a real sense of coming together in Paris in yes. love actually in Absolutely. support for each other um, I, well, when it happened a lot of people were not, be, not able to be located many might have been injured during the attacks or maybe mm. unfortunately died and there was a Twitter campaign to try and locate these people wow. so with all these attacks came love even messages sent to me for concern for my safety, yeah, yeah, were messages of love and concern. Yeah. I always saw that night as social media at its very best. And also just in terms of visitors to Paris, because obviously this had a... We, we know, working in tourism, that um, so many cancellations happen, and even to Rome, actually. And I must say, just although this is about Paris, obviously, everyone, there are lots of armed guards in Rome as well. You can see soldiers around the Colosseum. You can see Pope Francis has called Jubilee Year of Mercy this year, so all the papal basilicas, they've all got um, armed soldiers as well. So I kind of suspect that these cities, uh, which... You know, are actually now probably the safest places to yes. be in the world. Um, so do book your flights to Paris. Yes, there's nothing wrong with Paris or Rome. <laughs> Absolutely, book your flights, get, get going on holiday. And Dan, I just want to say thank you so much. You're very much missed in Rome, but clearly oh, you. you're really thriving in Paris. Dan, I know that you work for several companies and uh, um, anyone who wants to go to Paris and wants you as their tour guide, and I highly recommend Dan is one of the most knowledgeable people I know, um, how can people get in touch with you directly if they'd like to kind of... Uh, if they are interested, um, if you contact me by email, I will be happy to go through any suggestions or any questions that you may have about Paris. Fantastic. Or if you want, I will gladly take you through any of Paris's sites. So, and Dan's email address is daniel.alstrom at... <laughs> My email address is daniel.alstrom1 at gmail.com. My father's background is Swedish. Okay, got you. Can't you tell with my complexion? Of course I can. <laughs> <laughs> um, my last name is spelled A-H-L-S-T-R-O-M. Just in regards to people's concerns with Paris and how the Parisians are reacting, I just want to tell you, actually, uh, the coat of arms of Paris and the saying of Paris, it's fluctuat nec mergator. It's a bit of a knife, so it's... What does that mean? It's Latin, it means... She is tossed in the waves, but does not sink. Now, yeah. considering what has happened in 2015 to Paris, I think that saying really stands true because the Parisians continue to thrive. Wow, I've got goosebumps. Oh. Can you say that again? She is tossed in the waves, but does not sink. She is tossed in the waves, but does not sink. Wow, amazing. Dan, thank you so much. So my second guest for this amazing, unique podcast on Paris is a Paris local uh, called Candice Zacagnino. Have I pronounced that right, Candice? Yes, that's perfect. Fabulous. <laughs> so Candice is a, an extraordinary person. She's a filmmaker. She's been involved in making movies. Uh, the beautiful I Am Love, I believe, you're a producer on Candice. Is that right? That was, a, that was with an Italian company a few years yeah, ago. Now, yeah. now I have a... Uh, another company in Paris. Another company in Paris. So you're half French and half Italian. Um, yes. And so can you tell us a little bit about, about uh, your upbringing and what, what brought you uh, to Paris, Candice? I was, I was uh, brought up in France mostly and uh, for a while in England. And I only um, studied a little bit in Italy and uh, worked there for a couple of years. But I would consider myself uh, much more French. Much more French, a true Parisian. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, and how long have you lived in Paris, Candice? 
uh, I think I moved uh, in Paris in 94. So that's a kind of a long time ago. And uh, in, during that time, I uh, did a little back and forth with Italy for a couple of years, but otherwise mostly in Paris. Mm, fabulous. For this podcast, uh, Candice, we wanted to kind of get the inside scoop on Paris because it's obviously one of the most famous cities in the world, famous for the Eiffel Tower, the Seine, Notre Dame, for its fashion, for it being a city of romance. Um, and I'd really love to know, you know what daily life is like in Paris and does all of that kind of world fame kind of do you see that on a daily basis does it affect you um and you know what's it just like to be in in Paris I love living in Paris first of all uh and I feel very uh very fortunate to leave it anytime I move out uh, of Paris anytime I come back I realize how easy it is uh, to live in Paris because we have very, I mean, it's easy to, to access uh, culture, it's easy to have good food, it's easy to walk around uh, the town and most of the things are really beautiful. All the areas are very different. So for me, it makes it a very unique uh, town and, uh, and a very pleasant one to live in. Uh, Absolutely. I, where do you yeah. live? Where do you, where about I live in... I live in the second, which is a, uh, and in the second, I live in a district called Le Sentier. Uh, I'm a bit of a cliche for uh, if you look at where I live and where I work and what I do. So it's a <laughs> bit of a stereotype for like someone who would who works in the media in general. So I live in the Sentier. I've been living there for quite a long time. Uh, I used to live um, like north of the of the Marais. And uh, and before that, on the on the left bank, and I work uh, in the tents area, uh, so just on the other side of the boulevard from uh, um, from the second uh, the the second district, Le Sentier used to be the old uh, uh, district uh, for like whole stores and uh, and the fabric district. Uh, it's still a little bit like that, but more and more in the last three years, it's become and I'm very happy about that uh, a big place for foodies because like some of the street I mean one of the street has totally changed and uh, has become kind of a new kind of market so this has changed a little bit the area and the opening of a few restaurants I've uh, I've also changed the area it's a very uh, mixed area because uh, on one side you still have like uh, prostitution and the other side like those uh, hip restaurants so wow. it's um it's yeah, I don't know. I think it's going to stay like that for a while. Areas in Paris do not change as quickly as in London. Right, right. And uh, I work in the tents, which uh, is an area that changed, I would say, like ten years ago. And uh, mostly, when uh, uh, what changed the area was um, it used to be like, for example, the street where I work in used to be the fur area. A few years ago, like uh, an advertising company moved there. All around now, it's like packed with like post-production company, film production company, advertisement company, and the whole area has changed. Gosh. And here again, loads and loads of restaurants and like uh, groceries have opened. So um, this area has totally changed, and it's very nice to be working there because you can you can walk everywhere. I have all, all the facilities I need around, and um, and I realize how Paris is beautiful most of the time when I cross the river. <laughs> anytime I cross, no, but because I think anytime you cross the river, you have like a view in Paris that is quite amazing. Most yeah. of the time when I go to work and home, because it's like two areas that are quite similar, it's uh, I feel more like I live in a village than anything else. Gosh. That's amazing. I suppose and it, it, when you were telling me about that, it sort of reminded me a tiny bit about sort of London in a sense that Notting Hill is where all the media 
sort of people live and film people and it all sounds very very glamorous but it's almost like kind of squeezing Soho and Notting Hill together if you've got the, yeah. <laughs> the red light district on one side and the kind of media <laughs> lobbies on the other um, and it sounds wonderful as you say kind of just walking around Paris you're constantly reminded of how lucky you are so have you got a particular um, I mean obviously where you live sounds glorious I mean that must be one of your favorite areas <laughs> of Paris it's got... not the most beautiful one at all, but um, it's nice to live there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> convenient and, mm. and pretty. In terms of kind of other areas of, of Paris, where do you kind of mostly spend time hanging out when you're not at work? Um, well, it depends on, on what I do. Uh, for example, if I go like to a concert or the, I will move like north, I will go in the around Montmartre in the in the 18th and in the 9th and in the 18th district. If I want to go for a walk, uh, I'll go towards the South Bank and I'll, and I'll walk up to the fifth and the sixth and uh, or towards the and the Palais Royal, which I think the walk from like a the right bank, if you start around the uh, Palais Royal, go to the Tuileries and then cross the Louvre and then go uh, in the, I mean, towards the Ile Saint-Louis, de la Cité, and then you go to uh, the 5th and 6th area, I think is really, really beautiful. And uh, I still do it uh, very often. Is it easy to, to walk around? Because you, you, you talk about sort of the 18th district and just for people who aren't necessarily familiar with Paris, I know it's divided. It's, into... Paris is tiny today. So basically uh, from the centre, you can walk everywhere. And when I, I mean, for example, from the like, I, I mean, where I live is pretty centre. It's the second. So basically Paris like, works like a snail. So you... <laughs> This is how, I mean, you, this is what you have to imagine when you want to understand how, like, the, it works. So I would say I live pretty much in the center, and Montmartre is really in the in the north, and I, it would take, like, 25 minutes to walk there. If I wanted to go to uh, the Luxembourg Garden, which is, like, the big park on the South Bank, I mean, one of the big parks, because there's another one, like, really fast, which is called Parc Monceau. Again, it will take me, like, uh, perhaps, like, a little longer, like, half an hour. Mm. So it's... It's, it's not very a long walk, easy. though, is it? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's no, no, close. it's not. I mean, it's it's very rare that walking. For, I mean, if you're in the center from one place to the other, it will take you more than like thirty, thirty-five minutes. It works really well, and now we have the Velib and stuff. But I, I have a tendency like to to walk a lot. It sounds like an amazing way of life, Candice. <laughs> <laughs> And um, when you have, um, you, you know, you said you were half French, half Italian and spent some time in London. So clearly you've got quite a sort of international outlook on life. When people, mm-hmm. when you have friends and family come to stay with you in Paris, where do you tend to kind of take them? Obviously to the famous spots, but is there anywhere off the beaten track or, you know, something that... Yeah, well, I mean, normally people do like the famous stuff on on their own, I would say. Yeah. Uh, I do something very touristy, but I do it all the time with people that come uh, in Paris. And even if they know Paris well, I always take them to the Battle Mouche. But uh, I don't take the tour that starts uh, by the Eiffel. There's like a, a smaller tour that starts like uh, basically from the 
Ile de la Cité, which is where there's also Place Dauphine. So really, you just take a boat there and it's an hour tour. And uh, I do that very often with people. I grab a coffee on the way and like, uh, I mean, during the summer, it's just, it's something very pleasant. Usually, I I mean, people like, uh, I, I bring people to do like what, what I do. So like uh, in the morning, if I want them to take them like for, for like breakfast, I'm in the area where I live. So that street, which is like very famous for food now it's called Rue du it was uh, it all started with a restaurant called Frenchie which is a, a guy <laughs> called Greg Marchand who started it uh-huh. uh, he used to work with Jamie Oliver in London wow. and he started opening uh, this then a wine bar and then suddenly like there's a, there's a, a collective of like a fisherman I mean a fishmonger a butcher like grocery which is called Terre d'Avenue like people like small local products that were bought by a whole bunch of like really good restaurants in Paris started setting up their own shop in that street. And uh, now they have bakery and like French also have like a, a place called Frenchie to go. So I usually people, uh, take people there now. Yeah, what uh, is that called, Camille? Rue du Nil. Rue du Nil, as in like the night. Yeah, exactly. Ah, okay, Rue du Nil. I mean, it's a tiny street, but there's everything. If you want to cook, you have like everything. If you want to eat breakfast, have dinner, have a glass of wine, everything, and then the street. So Rue du Nil, lovely. Yeah, uh, I usually take them there or a little bit further down. There's a little place which is like behind Place des Victoires, which is a called Place des Petits Pères, where there's always been a cafe, but now it's changed. It's like a bakery called Le Moulin de la Vierge, which looks like a very typical French print of a nice church. So it's a nice way to start the day. So yeah. uh, if it's during the week, I would take people there. Uh, if it's during the weekend, uh, I love a, plan- uh, uh, a place called Dersou, uh, D-E-R-S-O-U, which is um, in the 12th. It's a restaurant that used to, I mean, that is in the evening, a restaurant that, uh, has a fixed menu and cocktails, and during uh, the weekend has an amazing brunch. So I would take Ooh. people there. Yeah, it's it's really really good food. And and then I don't know, we take people to like uh, like the Louvre. I love the Louvre, and I think like every tourist should go to the to the Louvre because yeah. it's it's an amazing place. I mean, even just from the outside, uh, but like all the collections are really great. But I, I'm I'm really interested in contemporary photography. So I usually take people to like uh, museums that are focused and photography. One of them is like the MEP, which is the Maison Européenne de la Photographie. It's in Le Marais. I usually try not to go on weekend because it's really packed, but mm-hmm. they, they have like really good exhibitions. Another museum that I really like is uh, the Jeu de Paume, the site that is in the Tuileries, which is also mostly on photography. And there's a, another place that I really like, which is called um, La Maison Rouge. And they usually have, they don't always do photography, but it's, it's often about private collections. And it's, um, it's really interesting. And it's uh, towards Bastille. Towards the Bastille. Yeah, so we take people there. Then, uh, I mean, as you might have guessed, I'm really obsessed with food. So apart from taking them, <laughs> I will usually take them also in, in like nice patisserie, like in areas if we go like uh, walking. I, I mean, of course, I really like Le Marais, like uh, I would say like everyone. So if we're in that area, I would take them to like a, a patisserie called Jacques Genin, which makes a really nice tart. If we're like uh, on the other side in the six. There's a really nice patisserie called Hugo 
Victor, which is also, uh, they make great chocolate. If I'm in my area, I mean, uh, apart from the Rue du Nil, I would take them to Stora. Then uh, I try and uh, bring them like to concerts or like to theater plays. Like the the concert places that I like in Paris are uh, apart from the Olympia, which I, I think it's a really nice place. Is uh, the Trianon, yeah. which is uh, in Montmartre. Trianon, like uh, like Marie Antoinette, basically. T R I N O N and uh, La Cigale. And if I take them to the theater, I like dance. So uh, I uh, I would go to Théâtre de la Ville, Théâtre which de la Ville. is yeah, which is a really good programmation in dance. And otherwise, I like uh, a theater like L'Odéon and uh, L'Atelier Berthier, which is also part of the of the Odéon. And uh, that's. That's great uh, places. If, if people are with kids, the nice parks, are, I mean, apart from, I mean, parks are not as nice uh, as in, and in the UK, so, or as in, you know, this is in Rome. So there's nothing like that. All the parks are like, much smaller. I like um, Parc Montsouris, which is really at the south of, uh, of Paris. Mm. And uh, I don't consider uh, Tuileries and, and Palais Royal, which I find amazing, but really as parks. And um, and Luxembourg for me is a really typical French thing and I really enjoy going there so I can and otherwise for kids there's also that place called Le 104 yeah which is north of Paris it's a place that was perhaps was reopened like uh, less than 10 years ago but it used to be the morgue of Paris and now it's like a huge place where they have like uh, people trained for hip-hop uh, there's like a few restaurants there's like loads of exhibitions um and then, and there's loads of places for kids. It's uh, and it's pretty. That it's, sounds amazing. And it used to be a morgue, you said. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And what's that called again? Sorry, Kenneth. Le 104. So basically, it's 104. Yeah. Thank you so much for all that, Kenneth. I'm absolutely enthralled, and I think I might need to move to Paris next. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else that you um, want to share? Uh, easy access to cinemas. I think was the town in the world that has like the easiest access to cinema. Mm. So like everywhere you walk, the a theater, and most of the films now are like in original language. So it's very easy for for foreigners that comes uh, in Paris to see like films it just sounds like daily life there is as glamorous <laughs> as it looks on the movies quite frankly <laughs> <laughs> for like typical French food if I I mean uh, I usually take people to a French restaurant called Pierrot uh, which is Rue Etienne Marcel so really in the centre favourite places uh, in Paris at the moment uh, well my favourite restaurant just closed but the, the chef is going to open uh, again he's just not in Paris at the moment, was uh, Bones by James Henry. I'm waiting for, for his new place. But for the moment, I really like Salt, which is the 11th. It's a guy who used to come from Noma who opened it. And it's by Square Gardette, which is a very residential area. But there's loads of new restaurants in that area. And it's very nice to go there. I love a place called uh, Clamato, which is fish restaurant opened by Bertrand from Septime. Uh, but this is like with no reservation and it's mostly focusing on uh, seafood and fish and that's really nice. His girlfriend opened a restaurant called Servant, which is really nice as well in the 11s. I love uh, like uh, in the first and second area, there's like uh, a street called Rue Saint-Anne, which has like loads of Japanese restaurants there. And there's a one that is like um, quite expensive, but super nice that is called Kunitoraya too. But if you want like more street food around Rue Saint-Anne, there's loads of like nice places. I, I like, uh, like for the noodles, I really like a place called Quintaro, 
which is a little bit above Rue Saint-Anne. Mm-hmm. And then in Paris, apart from like the French food and I like a lot of Vietnamese food. There's, there's a few like simple Vietnamese places that are, that I think are are nice. So one yeah, also I love like Vietnamese it. food. Yeah, <laughs> it's so one is called Kimin. This is in the um, this is not too far from Notre Dame. It's in the fifth. It's not too far also from Shakespeare and Co. So if people go uh, there and there's and there's a nice terrace there. And it's very simple, and uh, and you're if you now if you go to Shakespeare and Co. at the moment they just open a cafe which is called Bob's Juice Bar, which is like really nice. It's not French at all, but I, it's super nice cakes and uh, there. There's another one that I like, which is uh, it's by the the cemetery. It's called Little Hanoi which is like a super nice. It's not too far away from Belleville. And I like another one in the fifth area, which is more like a little canteen, which is called Maito, M-I-T-O, and one by the Bourse, which is called Entre Deux Rives, like between two rivers. What's the key thing mm. that you wouldn't want people to leave Paris without having done? I still think that, I mean, having a walk in Montmartre and having a walk yeah. in Le Marais, yeah, I would definitely do that. I mean, if Wonderful. you just have a day, you have a walk in Montmartre, have a walk in Le Marais, and have lunch, for example, on Ile de la Cité, then uh, or Ile Saint Louis. I love uh, on Ile de la Cité. I love Place Dauphine. I think it's yeah. one of the most beautiful places in Paris. So I would definitely do that. Like Fabulous. those three three stops. Wonderful. Um, Very different. Mm. Excellent, Candice. Thank you so so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's been amazing to talk to you and um i'm really excited i might have to um call you up when i get to paris and take you for some seafood okay, you're uh... very welcome <laughs> okay candace and you mentioned that you had one last place you wanted wanted to recommend one by, by a friend of yours what was that it's called edgar which is also in the second and it's it's a really nice place because it has a hotel and in that area there's very few hotels so it's like a really nice boutique hotel it has like a restaurant which is open all day and it has an amazing and really quiet terrace and in front of it there's also like a, an Italian they also have like an Italian restaurant right in front of it so that place is called Edgar and I feel like a, you really feel like you're on vacation when you're having like a cocktail on the terrace that sounds and absolutely the blissful nice. yeah yeah, and actually, we were, we were talking to a, a, a guide in Paris. He said that it really is worth staying as central as you can if you're only visiting yeah, for a bit. So definitely. Hotel Edgar. Hotel Edgar, yeah. Wonderful. And, well, Candice, it's been such a delight talking to you. And I just wondered um, if you'd like to tell us a bit more about, about your company and any upcoming projects that you've got going on. Yeah, great. My company is now called Yann Antoinette, which is like a, is like the two names of my grandmothers. I chose it because I thought it sounded very French as well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do co-production. I like having a very French name mm-hmm. and a name that meant something. And well, for the moment, like uh, last summer was released uh, my last production, which the French title was Les Chapées Belles, which is actually a takes place in Paris and in Rome. It's a, it's a very nice way to get a vision of the town because, like, it's the story of, like, a Clotilde M, who's, like, a, you know, mid-30s and a young kid, and she takes him all around Paris and Rome. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, so it's very beautiful visually, and uh, I'm, the director is called Émilie Charpitel working with her on a new project but it's still like in the writing process okay. so but the next films that are going to be shot one of them um, I think will take place in September and it, it's uh, the debut of a director called David Roux it mostly takes place in the hospital and it's the confrontation between like personal and professional life 
Um, so that's a very dear project. And I have a, a French and Polish co-production going on, with, which is the second feature of a girl called Raphael Lewandowski, which is the portrait of a woman through France looking for a husband. Very emotional. Gosh. And, <laughs> and the author's the next one coming is a, is a co-production with one of my friends. And it's also going to be a debut also directed by, I mean, this one directed by a woman like I did with Emilie Charpitel, and this director is called Julie Bonan, and it's a coming-of-age story. A coming-of-age story. Wow, gosh. Well, that, I want your life. <laughs> it sounds so creative I think it sounds more glamorous than it is. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Can you just recap on the international name of that film that you said? Like Eva and Leon. Brilliant. Yeah. So, thank you so much, Candice. Thank you very much. Well, that's it for our Travel Curious podcast on Paris this month. Thank you so much to Dan and Candice for sharing their fantastic insider knowledge. Get in touch with us at toriosity.com to plan your trip to Paris. Next month, I'll be talking to Toriosity's top guide in Berlin, as well as chatting to one or two others about their perspective on what it's like to live there. So do tune in then. In the meantime, why not join in on the Toriosity conversation on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram using the hashtag TravelCurious. That's it for now. Thanks so much for listening and see you next month.